When everything is uncertain, how do you respond? How do you lead? And before you even think about leading, how do you just make sure that you're okay? With the coronavirus in full swing, most of us are at home. Uh, I went for a walk earlier today. It was sunny outside. The birds are chirping. It's one of those days where it's warm in the sunlight, but it's cool in the shade. This recording that I'm doing right now, I'm doing from my bedroom closet. Um, I've got a blanket hanging over the, the door here and a little table where I took the blanket from downstairs and like put it over the desk. Today's actually my son's birthday. He's three. But we're not going to have a party with a bunch of his friends the way that we had planned. We each find ourselves in different places right now. You know, maybe you live alone or maybe you've got roommates. Maybe your adult kid just moved back in and you thought they were out. Maybe you're the adult kid that moved back in with your folks or maybe you have kids. But regardless, there's a lot on your mind. There's a lot that worries you for yourself, for those you care about, for the world. There are things that weigh on you. You've got hopes, fears, stresses, anxieties. I get that. So wherever you find yourself, we're all trying to find our way through this thing. How's it going? I'm Blaine Lay, and you're listening to Vivid. It's a podcast powered by RCLI. And our goal on the show is to help Christian leaders see clearly. So in the coming weeks, we're going to have some conversations to help you navigate things. Some of those conversations will speak directly to how you and I might lead. But today's conversation is more fundamental. If you're like me, a lot of your rhythms in the last few weeks have been totally upended, right? For some of us, our response in a time of crisis is to go do a bunch of stuff, to distract ourselves, to solve problems, to make the food, to read the news, to buy the groceries, to watch Netflix, to check the news. You got to send the text. You got to call mom to check the news again. Others of you, you know, you may go the other way and just become lethargic, maybe a little bored. My point is that as we're trying to navigate and respond, it's really easy to forget your first love in a time of crisis. As Christians, there's so much to worry about and respond to that we forget about coming to the feet of Jesus. Yes, we know that we should, but we get lost in the shuffle. So today I talk with Justin early about all of that. Now, Justin's a lawyer. He's a writer. He wrote a book called The Common Rule, outlining some weekly and daily habits to help us love God and love our neighbors. And I think it's especially helpful right now as we're all trying to figure out new rhythms. Today's conversation is about getting back to basics. We wanted to say, hold on a minute. Let's pump the brakes on what you need to do. And let's talk about who you need to be. Because who you are and the things that shape you come to life in what you do. In our conversation, Justin starts by talking about his own battle with anxiety. We talk about the spiritual habits and why they're more important now than ever. This is something I'm not good at. Uh, We talk about the role of friendship. Justin urges us not to put the walls up and go inward, which is really tempting right now, but to do the opposite, to love our neighbors and to move outward. So yeah, let's get rolling. My name is Blaine Lay, and you're listening to Vivid. Justin Early, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Blaine. How are you? So you are a lawyer. You're a writer and thinker. You're a man with a beard. You're also a dad, a husband, a friend, a man. I'm, uh, li- I'm liking these. Can yeah. you go on that? <laughs> you are many things. Um, but uh, 
So you've written a lot. You've wrote a book about kind yes. of habits and practices and, um, you talk, you've talked about your journey with anxiety and stress and just how that led to this focus on habits and the way that they shape us. Um, so I'm wondering if you just describe and talk to us a little bit about that journey. I can, I can. Um, you mentioned writer. I've always loved writing. Um, I started my life post-college in China. I was a missionary in China. And I wrote a ton of stuff then. As it turns out, the first thing that people actually wanted to publish and read was was about my anxiety collapse and how I found the role of habits and getting healed from that. <laughs> and the short version of how that went is that, um, I, as I said, I was a missionary in China for almost five years until I felt the Lord actually calling me back to the United States um, to work missionally within law and business, which is a loaded statement, maybe for another podcast. But suffice it to say, I really did feel called to come back to the States and work missionally within the profession of law. And um, first it went great, did great in law school, school um, went to Georgetown, graduated towards the top of my class, um, found my dream job here in Richmond in mergers and acquisitions. Um, I started that job with a you know, wife, two boys th that I had in law school. Everything was just going great. Um, and then I had a, just a full-on epic anxiety collapse in my first year of lawyering. And it took me, it was, it was a very long, very dark period. Um, but in hindsight, what I began to see is that while I had this serious and very sincere calling to be missional within law and businesses, law and business, I, I had assimilated to all the typical practices of a top law school mm. and high-powered law firm right. and this um, frenetic, busy, tech-addicted pace. What did it look like when like you hit the wall? Oh, it was nasty. Um, I mean, just literally what it looked like. I mean, it's, it started randomly. One Saturday night, I woke up um, sweating with my heart beating like something was terribly wrong, but I had no idea what. And it's important to note, like nothing was going wrong in my life that I was aware of. I just, I, and I now know the word for a panic attack. I didn't then. Um, it was just, it was horrible. Um, and the problem was it kept happening. So I started to not be able to sleep at all. And... Um, I finally went to the hospital one night and got, they gave me sleeping pills, um, which exacerbated the problem, unfortunately, because I, I, my body responds to sleeping pills in all the ways that you read on the back of the bottles, which are <laughs> very, they're funny now, um, wasn't funny then. So I just started to have int horrible mood swings, um, even suicidal thoughts. I began, I got to a place where I couldn't go to bed unless I was taking some of those pills or uh, drinking a few glasses of wine. Um, and the way I put it now is that I, I had to confront the reality that the missionary had been converted. Hmm. The missionary to law and business had been converted to the nervous medicating lawyer. and Shaped I, by the place where you find yourself in the day-to-day, -day, right? Well, it, yeah, and it took me forever to figure that out because I, I was believing all the right things. I was saying the right things. Like and, rationally, you had the right thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I really didn't doubt any of the faith claims about the, the, the Lord holds my life in his hands in his hands i sh should and can be at peace and why am i not at peace um what what i found after a lot of time was that by assimilating to all the usual practices of the place that i was in the constant phone checking the long hours the minimizing sleep the cutting out social obligations in favor of working more there were these um liturgies of daily life 
that were embedded in my habits of I've got to work to prove who I am. You know, what's happening right now is most important. What's on my screen is the most important. Um, and in, in short, these habits and habits in general form who we are, our identity, what we believe a lot more than we think. And so I started to realize, oh, when I align the practices of Jesus with the belief in Jesus, it's, it's, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's not just to say the right things. It's also not just to do the right things. It's to intertwine the life of belief and practice. And that changed everything for me, hmm. which led to a book on habits and how they spiritually form us. Right, which is what brings you here today. I mean, I think that, that idea of liturgy and what you just described, like I had this picture of an iceberg where the, all the stuff that, like the head knowledge is above the water, but all the habitual, the things that form us and shape us or below the water, yes. and actually a much larger part of the iceberg. Yes. Um, and I think the work that you've done with the book and even a lot of the articles that you've written starts to give voice to that which is below the iceberg and how we can start to shape the way that we're shaped. Um, yes. So I want to take us a little bit to the moment that we find ourselves in with the coronavirus and all of the news that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about writing a point of view on this topic. I was like, oh, I, can, I should speak to this. And I was like, wait a second. We know somebody who has done a lot of thinking on this and, and that person's you. So I wanted to um, start with this idea that you've talked about recently. You wrote um, an article in the Gospel Coalition that we'll link to about the nine ways to love your neighbor. Um, and so my question is, I think at this moment, it's really easy for us to move inward, right? Like it's really tempting to, to put up the walls, really focus on protecting yourself, minimizing the stress, um, got to figure out work and food and, oh my gosh, do we have enough toilet paper? Yeah. <laughs> um, all, all really important things, right? Um, but you've actually been writing about doing the opposite in a time where folks are moving inward. You're saying, hey, we need to be thinking about how we can move outward and care for our neighbor. And that's not normal. So I wonder if you just talk a little mm. bit about like how you got to that place. And- uh, yes. I don't think that I'm exaggerating when I say history is pivoting kind of moment that we're in right now with the coronavirus. Um, So when I go around and I talk about the habits that I wrote about in the book, which are simple little daily and weekly habits like scripture before phone, spending an hour a day with your phone off, Sabbathing every week, these, these kind of healthy, spiritually formative rhythms, I always start with this story from Houston in 2017. And so what happened is in August of 2017, if you're in or around Houston, Texas, or tuning in anywhere on the radio, TVs, or internets, all, you hear a flood of evacuation warnings because Hurricane Harvey, everybody probably remembers, was coming in, and everybody in Houston is flooded out. And there's pictures going viral all over the internet of just the, the traffic in Houston. I mean, it was awful. And the cars to escape the city are just packed up on right. the highways for miles. And then this picture cuts above the noise. It, it was amazing. Um, it's this picture of truck drivers and boat owners packed up on the, backed up on the highways. Um, and then as, as you look at the picture, you realize, oh my gosh, these people are not fleeing. They're going in hmm. to Houston. Um, and so in all the viral moments that the internet has offered us, and it's still relatively short life, <laughs> I found this to be one of the most beautiful. This line of truck drivers and boat owners who on hearing the orders to get out are going in. Is this a metaphor for the American church or not? So when crisis comes, are we the kind of church 
that, like the Savior we proclaim, walks into the storm hmm. or not. And people are, are, you know, are expecting me to talk about habits, and I'll get there. But the reason I always start with this story is because everything that I'm interested in about spiritual formation and ordering our inner life and ordering our home life and ordering our devotional life and the way we use our technology, and phones, every, every bit of my interest in that is not so we can be mindful or... Yep happy or to optimize your productivity yeah or get rid of our panic attacks <laughs> all those things actually are good but they're nowhere near as important as, as the central purpose of who we are and that is to be flipped out of ourselves so that we can love god and love neighbor so that we can be like the savior we proclaim who walks into storms and so i um start every talk like this right <laughs> and a week ago i am driving down the interstate here in richmond headed to lunch when I get a voicemail from um, Superintendent Cameras saying that they are considering canceling schools for the coronavirus. And I become infuriated. Like, I, 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 liter- I literally be- begin to rage in my car. And I have this Holy Spirit sort of moment um, a couple minutes into my rage that I'm like, oh my gosh, I am entirely thinking about this pandemic in terms of how is it going to inconvenience me. And I talk regularly about being the kind of people who walk into the storm. The storm is here. So what's going through your head when you got that call? Are you thinking, my kids are going to be out of school? Yeah, I'm thinking you know this I mean? is incredibly inconvenient for my schedule. <laughs> it's incredibly inconvenient for my work. Um, but, you know, this is this is a... This is inconvenient. This is just not how I want my it's life not to on go. Your, it's not on your not agenda. Not on my radar. Yeah, yeah. You know, the uh, the hurricane coming was not in in my plans. I didn't want to go get a truck and a boat and drive into the storm. I didn't right. want to change my plans. I didn't want to think about all this. And I just I just had this Holy Spirit conviction moment of, you hypocrite. This, this, is, this is what it means to be a believer. It means to put aside your inconveniences and say, how can I nonetheless go and love my neighbor? Right. I also think these are the moments that... Um, the church is made for. I think it's important to note that we we are a body of people who who are trained to be unafraid of death, who talk about all the time that we have our hope somewhere else than immediate right now, and who talk about all the time that our life is is not to fill our own coffers and yeah. pockets, but our life is supposed to be a blessing to others. These are the kinds of moments where I think Christians should say. This is what we've been called to. Yeah. Well, I think you're right that the church is called to be that kind of a, uh, like a light to the world. And even if you like, if you just talk about the literature around habits, whether it's Charles Duhigg or when you go to an airport, there's always like the bookstore that has like optimize your life habits for being a better. Right. But it's and I'm I'm personally at times drawn to that because I'm like, oh, I can be a more optimized Blaine, get more yeah. things done in my yeah. day. But it's it's very. Um, habits in service of like the me focus. So I think that you're, the distinction that you're drawing between no, 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 these habits and these ways of of ordering your life and shaping like your inner world and your soul and the world around you is actually for the benefit of the other. Yes. Because Christ is our model and he's the one that did that. Um, and I, yeah, just um, this idea that the church was made for this moment, I want to believe that if the church has shaped me, it's not just shaping the part of the iceberg that's above the water, but yes. it's shaped the part that's below yes. and that I and we and we are equipped and have been shaped to then respond in yes. the way that Christ would have yes. us.
So I want to jump into some of the the habits that you've outlined, and we'll, we'll link to this as well. Um, right now, we can be for one another by actually being separate. So with all the social distancing, and there's solidarity in that solitude, but it's it's obviously not easy. Um, so you've laid out four things. Number one, read the scriptures. Two, rhythms of prayer. Three, light the fire of hope. And four, gather safely. So I want to talk about those, but I actually wanted to start with the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, being in scripture and developing this rhythm of prayer. And I think personally, those to me are the most obvious. Like when I read those, I'm like, no, duh. Like, of course, yeah, yes, we're believers. Let's get to the good stuff. Tell me about this lighting the fire of hope. Right. Um, so I think my question, and I think partially because I'm personally convicted because I don't do this well, um, but how do you actually do that in your home? Do you always do it well? When do you do it? Like how easy is it for you as a family to, to do, I think, the scripture and the prayer? Yeah. Um, great question because we're better at it now. Um, because it's become habit now, but it was not always that way. Yeah. So one of the habits that I read about, about in the, the common rule and still advocate and did this morning was the practice of scripture before phone. And this is a personally one of the keystone, I think, most formative habits that I or anyone else can have. And it's just the idea that, um, yeah, duh, we as believers should be in the scriptures. And yet, how rare is it that believers are actually regularly in the scriptures? Right. I mean, it would be, um, you'd be a really bad baseball player if you just talked about the fundamentals of practicing your baseball swing and actually never pre- had batting practice. They do it every day. Right. Because their whole game is predicated on them you know, right. swinging the bat. Um, our walk with Christ is, is predicated on obeying you know, the, the command to be in, in the scriptures. And one of the ways that I make sure that happens is just I don't go to my phone until I've read the scriptures um even if it's like 30 second psalm or maybe a 30 minute quiet time now um then a time like this hits and all of a sudden i think you see intensely why the fundamentals are the fundamentals i think especially with the news there's like a constant news feed and there's i realized like in the first few days i was like oh my gosh yes i think either for news junkies or people that are just curious or want to hear different takes or just get Mm -hmm. the latest that there's, um, I think for me personally, just like a curiosity and a desire to be connected and I want to be informed, but there's a weight that comes with that, that I think is really, um, like, I, I think a lot of us are feeling that in this moment with all the news and information and wanting to know you have, yeah, the, the latest and the correct. Absolutely. I mean, it is hard to emphasize enough that this is a historically unprecedented moment. Because obviously we've never had a pandemic with this population size. But we've also never had the ability for fear to go viral like a virus Mm. goes viral. And we're living in a different world now where, you know, just over a decade into our life with smartphones, this is the first time there's been a global scale crisis where me, the kid in Wuhan, the, the, the older person in northern Italy and everywhere... We're all worried and thinking about the same thing. Right. And the amount, the extent to which fear has gone viral is remarkable. Hmm. And so what we see right now um, is in our homes, in, in our w- work, everywhere, we are all tuning into the same thing. And we're getting hyped up about the same things. And it is more important than ever, I think, that believers um, 
do what we are supposed to do in these moments, and that is cling to the promises of God that are in the scriptures, that yes, we will have trouble in the world, but take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. We do not emotionally get there simply by having read that once and saying we believe it. We get there by feasting on those promises mm-hmm. over and over. And we will not be the light of the world. We will not be the kind of people who can walk into the storm like this with a message of hope unless we are soaked yeah. in the scriptures. And so it's the fundamentals, it, and even more so at a time like this. I want to ask you about friendship. Mm. Uh, one of your... Um, one of your recommendations is just gathering safely, and that could be digitally. You know, currently the guidelines recommend no less than ten, but certain states are sheltering in place. Um, what is the role of friendship in a moment like this? You know, how do we cultivate it, but also make sure that we're staying safe and not spreading the virus? Like, how do you think about that? As soon as I heard words about social distancing and the idea that we're facing something that's extremely unusual, my mind went to the the crisis that is, oh my gosh, precisely at the time that we need each other, we're being told to stay away from each other. Which is really counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously important to the survival of our bodies. But what, what occurred to me, and I think about every day now, is that what is also at stake is the survival of our souls, is the survival of our ability, you know, our will to endure, our ability to carry on. And whenever I think about the great emotional or mental problems of a life, I think immediately about community and friendship hmm. because no one can do them alone. Yeah. The most important things, the hardest things um, are, are, are done in community. And so I immediately started thinking, oh, we have got to rekindle the fire right now of friendship of community because we're not gonna be able to weather this alone and so my my urge to people in the spiritual rhythms of quarantine um, that i put up on the website is what do right now you should be thinking about one of your fundamental rhythms is figuring out how to gather safely whether that's a zoom call do it intentionally whether that's a phone call do it intentionally whether that's like i did last week in with my friends we all walked to a backyard fire we could just come in, stand six feet apart, bring your own drink, and we just stood around the fire. And it was amazing hmm. because um, it, it was kind of meta because for me, I always think of friendship as a fire. You keep the fire burning and, and it's warm and it's inviting and more people want in. This is how we do community. And to be clear, you're not recommending a mass gathering either. No, I'm, yes. not, I'm not recommending it. Um, you know, it was less than 10 people around a fire. In fact, it was only three at the first one we did. Um, and then it grew to seven at the next one. But, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's sort of obvious to obey authorities at a time like this, you know, and do your job and be careful. Um, but I do think it is less obvious to people that, what is, that, that the, survivor, the survival of our bodies is not the only thing at stake and that we cannot weather storms like this well without each other. And so I don't care how it happens. I care that it happens. Hmm. Um, I, I care that, you know, whether, again, whether it's a FaceTime or whether it's a backyard campfire, that we cling to each other right now because we need it. Yeah, there's um, there's a line in that piece where, that you said, our bodies don't just need health, our souls need hope. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really compelling and that encapsulates what you're saying right now. Um, the other idea that jumped out at me 
that you hit on is this idea of telling the truth, Mm -hmm. which I think is a statement of vulnerability. Um, And I'm going to, I'm wondering if that goes both ways. So I'll use an example. I have a friend who um, works in an industry. He basically runs a a very large um, swim program in a different city in the U.S. And he found out that the whole thing is just shuttered and he doesn't know what he's going to do. And so I think that vulnerability and telling the truth, I think on the one hand, it can be raising your hand and asking for help. But even for me as his friend, I'm trying to discern how much I should be proactive and like reaching out to him yeah so yeah yeah, i just i wonder like what your thoughts are on that idea of truth telling and vulnerability in between friends whether you're the person in need or the person reaching out and in the course of a day each one of us could be either one of those people yes absolutely you're exactly right when i say tell the truth as an important part of what it means to gather right now it's it's just simply to say that i i think vulnerability is the lifeblood of friendship i think truth telling telling for example right now confessing that yeah i actually am afraid i'm really scared or confessing i am really angry because suddenly all my work is disrupted or i'm nervous or i'm incredibly anxious that whole spectrum of emotion i mean everybody right now is um unsurprisingly and legitimately fair enough in a in a bit of a sort of ptsd shock moment like we don't know what we're feeling um, we need communities to process it, that in and being vulnerable and, and explaining, just confessing is it's precise. It does, I think, at least two things. It One, it encourages vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So when you're vulnerable, people are much more likely to reciprocate. That's also it. contagious, right? It yeah. is. It the is vulnerability contagious. And yeah. with the vulnerability comes trust building. Yeah. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability and it's exactly what we want in our community. It's the mark of real community. Our best communities that you think back to, um, or that if you're in one now, so, so glad for you. It's, it's the kind of people who come together and tell the truth. Um, and it also creates the moment where the gospel can be repreached because, um, I, I think, Vulnerable friendship is is like incarnating the gospel to each other over and over because the gospel, one way to sum it up, would be we're, we're really messed up, but Jesus is sticking with us anyway. He loves us anyway. And I think vulnerable friendship is where you look at a person, you say, I know your stuff, I've heard all your stuff, um, and I'm sticking around anyway. And we, we give each other the opportunity to preach the gospel back to us when we confess and tell tell each other vulnerably what we're thinking and then... Uh, listen as they tell us that we're loved anyway. Yeah. Cause that's what Jesus did for us. Right. Yes. You talk, I think it's, it's woven into a lot of what we've been talking about so far is this idea of re- resisting despair and embracing hope, mm-hmm. especially during this moment. Um, and one of your, one of your points in the, was it the rhythms of quarantine, spiritual rhythms for quarantine, um, is this idea of light the fire of hope which could be physical, like actually putting a candle in your window. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a, there's obviously a, like a metaphorical thing happening there. And so I want to like zoom out. So in the macro sense, how do you see this moment? What role does hope play? Um, and what role might the followers of Christ play during this time? Like I think we've been talking around it a little bit. But like in the macro sense, when we look back 100 years, um what do you hope that we'll be able to say about the way that the church responded? Oh, what a good question. Well, it goes back to the, the metaphor that I began with, 
is these trucks heading into Houston? Is this a metaphor for the American church or not? I ask that question so often because I generally don't think it is. Hmm. I generally think that the Western church is often struggling in a posture of our faith is to make us feel better about life. It's, it's for us. It's something that makes life great. It's our community. Yeah. It's not the kind of take up your cross and follow me. I will self-sacrifice for my neighbor. And my hope is actually that this would be a calling moment for the American church. What I would hope is that we look back at this moment and, and, and think this is when the American church rose to the call to sacrifice and love its neighbor more than itself. And I don't know what that'll look like, but I, but I will say this. I think oftentimes we can be down on the American church because we read the news too much, or we can be down on the American church because we pay more attention to what Twitter thinks about the church rather than what our own church is doing. Right. And, and I will say this. Um, I'm concerned about the, Amer- the, the reputation of the American church writ large. I'm not concerned about the reputation of my church. Hmm. And I think that's an important distinction. We get a little tied up in what is happening in media. I look around at my church in this moment. You know what I see? Is I see rapid organizing of volunteers to feed kids out of school. I see rapid dispersion into small groups to light the fire of hope in communities. I, I see I see a, a amazing emails and texts and chains of hope going around. I see the kind of thing that I hope for when I hope for the American church. So I, what I hope we'll look back at and see is that this was a moment when the American church realized it really isn't a building. It's a body of people, and that can be done in small houses. And I hope we'll, I hope we'll have droves of people their testimony is oh i came to christ during the coronavirus because suddenly the christians in my neighborhood were there for me and they were talking they were out on the porch we were just there you know and we had conversation and they and they told the truth they were meeting with friends in safe ways but they they gathered um that's the testament that's what i hope for um I, i i hope that the church reflects the person of christ in this crisis justin early thank you you're welcome. Appreciate your time, man. Definitely. We could go for another hour. Probably. That's a wrap. We definitely could. Yeah. But. Good luck. <laughs> I don't know that hear that. Thanks for checking out the show. One quick note. Justin and I recorded this episode about a week ago And things are changing daily, so please obey the guidance of all local authorities. Keep your physical distance based on their direction. And just be wise, act in love. You can check out more from Justin at commonrule.org. There you can find a little guy that he created called the Spiritual Rhythms for Quarantine. And there's more information in the show notes. You can find out more about RCLI at rcliweb.org. We have an email newsletter we just launched, and it's intended for Christian leaders. So you can think of it as a curated set of digital nuggets, an article, a song, a video. And we pull from all over the web and create some of our own stuff, too. Our goal with that newsletter is to cut through the noise and just say, hey, here are some things we think you might like that will be helpful, inspiring, humorous. Go to rcliweb.org. You can check out the newsletter section there for more on that. 
We've also got a leadership program and applications are going to be opening soon. Watch the website for more details on that in the weeks to come. My name is Blaine Lay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Vivid. And I wanted to close here with um, a word from scripture and just a quick prayer. And it's from 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. So let me read it and then I'm just going to break down a few thoughts really quickly. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I'm tearing up a little bit as I'm reading that. Um, in verse 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. I think in a time of fear where we're all just feeling unsettled and unsteady, um, remember that God cares for you, and you can cast your anxiety on him because of that. He's reliable. Be alert and of sober mind. If you're like me, uh, it's tempting to just want to wear sweatpants. Um, but I think what this calls us to do is to be alert. Like wash your face, splash some water on yourself. Be alert, be sober. There's evil in the world. The world is dangerous and our enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a lion. And he's looking for someone to devour. There may be moments where you feel like you're being devoured. You may read things in the news, seeing things where that lion is on the prowl people of faith resist him we can stand firm in the faith we know that um this is really encouraging to me that there's a family of believers throughout the world that's undergoing the same kinds of suffering so there are people all around the world that are feeling unsettled unsteady and are just feeling anxious and fearful but we know that god is the god of all grace He called you and me to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. It may feel like we're suffering right now. But scripture says, after you and I have suffered a little while, Jesus himself will restore you, will make you strong, will make you firm, and will make you steadfast. So put one foot in front of the other in the days to come. Be easy on yourself. Be alert. Cast your anxieties on him. If you don't make the time for it, make time to pray. Make time to be in scripture. It's so easy to say that and not actually do it. Um, Make the time for that stuff. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us, that you are steadfast, that you have the power to restore us, to make us strong. Help us move outward, that we would care for those around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And that's it. Thanks for listening.